Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Well, good morning, you guys. My name is Becca. I'm one of the pastors here. And I actually want to start this morning by addressing the elephant in the room. And that's that, you know, Mother's Day, this day of celebration is really, really sweet for some of us. It's something that is really special to many of us. And yet it's also a day that's really heart-wrenching for others that are with us. And so I want to make sure that Life West is a place where we give honor where honor is due. We are going to take every opportunity that we can to honor because the Bible says to outdo one another in showing honor. And so this morning we do want to honor the mothers. We want to honor the sacrifice that you make day, day in and day out. We want to honor the fact that you give and give and give, and a lot of it is unseen. And so we want to thank you and honor you. And we also want to honor the people with us who show up every day to a life that is giving them challenges that they did not expect, whether that's infertility, whether that's estrangement from their mothers or their children, you know, whether that's the loss of a loved one this year, if it's a, a spouse or a child or their own parent. And so we want to honor you as well for continuing to show up to a life that's providing some challenges. So let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning. We just thank you, God, that that your anointing would be in, this pre- in our presence, Father, that your anointing would be in this room. Father, we just pray that, uh, that you soften hearts, Lord, today to hear your word. And I, I pray, Father, that today's message would not simply be information, Lord, but that it would be revelation that brings transformation the only way it can by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we just thank you for this time to spend in your presence, Lord. It's in your mighty and yet oh-so-tender name we pray. Amen. Well, today I want to start by making sure that you guys know that, again, this is a with you message, not an at you message. You know, I have a pretty odd subject for today. We're talking about fear and hope. And I don't want you guys to think that I'm coming at you from a position of having it all figured out. I don't want you to think that I'm coming at you from a, persi- from a position of perfection, where I, where I know how to deal with this all the time, where I don't struggle with fear ever. Psalm 34, 4 says this. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all of my fears. When I was in college, I worked in a nursing home, and the nursing home was in the community where my parents had a lake home, so I lived at their lake home. Everybody say, smart move, Becca. Yeah, see, I, I, I put that one together real clever. Anyhow, the lake that I lived on, there were a lot of people that, that we have as neighbors, but the way it worked is very few of us were up there all week long. Often people would only live up there or be only be up there on the weekends. So I had an aunt and uncle that lived four houses down that way, and they were there all week. And then I had friends who were about a quarter of the way around the lake this way, and they were there all week. But everybody in between was only up on weekends. 
And so I lived largely isolated up on a hill in the middle of the woods. And one of those weeknights, my sister and her friend came up north, and they said, you know what, we've got this movie that we want to watch together, it's all the rage, it's going to be awesome, and they turned on this movie, and it was a scary movie. I highly, highly, highly recommend that you not put that stuff in your mind. Anyhow, I did not make a wise choice, and I said, yeah, let's, let's watch the movie. So we watched the movie, and after the movie, they drive an hour and a half back to my hometown. So I'm alone in the middle of the woods in this house, and I go to bed, and I'm kind of barely falling asleep because my mind is replaying all the scary stuff in the movie. And, and then I, I fall asleep, but I wake up at about 2 a.m. to a noise. There's a sound outside of my window. And I wait. 30 seconds go by. A minute goes by, and there it is again. I can feel my heart start to beat faster, right? We all know what that's like. My heart's starting to beat faster. I'm thinking, did I really hear what I thought I just heard? And 30 seconds, a minute goes by, and there it is again. And now my heart is racing. It is something so hard. Like, I can hear my heartbeat, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, if I can hear my heartbeat, if there's something out there that can hear my heartbeat, because it is, it is so loud, and then I hear it again. It's a footstep coming out the steps outside of my window. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, back, man, you gotta, you got to figure this out. Like, you're, you're all alone. You only have one way to get out the door, and, and you got to have something to do. And so I'm thinking, what, what do I have? How do I defend myself? And so there's an antique glass water or um, lemonade bottle. I grab it, and I'm, I'm clinging it to my chest. But I, I, I'm not breathing. My heart is pounding. I can feel my heart in my wrists. And I'm like, Beck, you got to get up and you got you to gotta look at this. You got to look at what's, what's there. You got to see what you're dealing with. And so I finally get myself to the point where I kneel on the back of my bed and I look out and I stare directly into the eyes of what I was afraid of. Now, many of you, when I tell that story, you, you're like, oh man, I know that feeling. I know exactly what it is. You can relate to that. And now you're probably all wondering what it is, Right? So I stared directly into the eyes of a deer. A deer. But here's the thing. My body was telling me, my emotions were telling me that there was a true danger. And so what did I do the rest of the summer? The rest of the summer, I spent calling my friends and calling my aunt and uncle and saying, hey, can I sleep on your couch tonight because I'm really freaking out. And so I spent much of my summer sleeping on other people's couches because I was so afraid. I had allowed an irrational fear to seep into my mind and my heart and wrap its little claws and vines around me. I, I was literally altering my life. I was altering my life based on an irrational fear. I allowed myself to develop an expectation of bad things, and that's what fear is. Fear is the expectation of bad things, but hope, hope is the confident expectation of good things. I remember holding Avery for the first time. Oh, my goodness, I remember it. I remember they gave gave her to us, and they said, okay, go home. And we get in the car, and for the first time, I was so afraid that somebody would hit us. I was afraid that I had buckled her in too tightly. And I was mostly afraid that we were not capable of this. 
And yet there was such a mixture in me because I was so hopeful. There was a new life to help mold. It was a new beginning. But this mixture of hope and fear was something for the first time in my life I really understood. I understood that raging battle. And I would say that everybody in this room gets it. We've all been there. I'm, I'm not the only one who has had those fears step into her life. If I asked you to raise your hand and give an example where your heart was beating and it felt like it was overtaking your body, like it was for me in the deer story, you would be able to do that. We have, we have multiple. I have multiple of my own. Um, Mother's Day has been kind of a, a, a weird thing for me in the past. I've had a lot. We've had emergency room visits. We've had, I mean, epic meltdowns, generally me, not the kids. Um, <laughs> but one year when Molly was 12 weeks old, I, I laid her on a counter. I know, I know, I get it. That was not a good idea. But I laid her on a counter and I thought, I'm just going to wipe down the edge of this tub right here really quickly and then I'm just going to pick her back up. And I'm wiping down the tub and I hear a thud. And I turn around and my 12-week-old baby is laying face down on the tile floor. Everything in me was allowing fear to speak. All I could think is, she's never going to walk. She's going to be brain dead. She's not going to talk. You have ruined her life. And that fear kept going and going and going. And the only thing that would stop it for me was pray. That's the first time I prayed in the spirit. I prayed in the spirit. I was like, I, I have to get rid of these thoughts. I will not be able to survive them. Now, here's the thing. Before we get too far, I want you to understand that there's a difference between fear and caution. There's a difference between fear and discernment and prudence. Those are good things. Those are things that the Holy Spirit gives us to check our situation. But when I'm talking about fear today, I am talking about that raw emotion that we allow to go unchecked and unchallenged in our life. It seems like everything in our world is attempting to induce fear, right? Everywhere we look, something is pulling us, saying, hey, fear this, fear that, right? We've got media, we've got the government, we've got conversations with our neighbors, no matter where we turn. Everybody is trying to induce fear. And fear is sticky. Have you guys ever gotten one of those mailers and you open it up and it has that sticky strip in it? I don't even know. I don't know if it's rubber or glue. I don't even know what that stuff is. But it is so sticky. And fear can be just like that. Anything it finds to stick to, it'll try. Just this week, Molly got an infection in her tooth. And so we took her to the dentist. And... And sure enough, there was an infection, and they said, we'll get her some antibiotics. We got her on that. And then they gave us advice for next treatment steps. And we said, thank you. And we left, and we were looking up the next treatment steps. We were researching them. We asked some other people for wisdom. And we decided that we were going to hold off for just a little bit. Well, when the dentist heard that, he, he called us. And I gave Samuel the phone, which was a really good idea. Um, he called us, and he said in took a couple minutes to say it, but basically he got around to, hey, it's extremely rare, but it is my duty to inform you that if you don't do this treatment, she could die. Now, the ironic thing is, if you do that treatment, 
It comes with a warning that although extremely rare, if you do this treatment, she could die. <laughs> then I fell mountain biking and I, I bruised a rib and I was pretty, pretty certain that it's just bruised, still pretty certain it's just bruised, but if you see me wince, <laughs> you'll know why. Um, but I wanted to see, you know, if people could tell pretty easily what the difference between a, a break and a bruise and a fracture was. And so I got online to ask good old faithful Dr. Google and every page I went to thought it was their duty to inform me that this would probably kill me. In fact, I was probably already dying. I should probably get all of my affairs in order and my right leg was gonna fall off. Fear, fear, fear. It's, it's, this is being peddled to us nonstop. Every single direction we look, somebody is saying the sky is falling. But we know that 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity but of power, love, and self-discipline. And I am here to ask today, how about we start changing the script of our lives? How about we start looking with hope to the future? Numbers 13 gives an account of Joshua and Caleb, Moses sending them and 10 other spies into the promised land. The reason it's called the promised land is because God has promised the land to his people. And so Moses says, okay, you know, we're here. God has said this is our land. Go check it out. And they go, and these 12 spies check it out. And 40 days later, they come back, and they say, oh, my goodness, Moses. Like, dude, yes, God was right, and the land is bountiful. The land, I mean, like, you should see, here's the fruit. I mean, they brought the fruit back. They're like, look at this stuff. This stuff is amazing. And yeah, it is like a land flowing with milk and honey. No joke. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. But then it says this. It says, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak, the Amalekites, live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. The Mediaites, the governmentites, the name your danger of choiceites, they're all there. But Caleb with Joshua tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But then it says that the other men there disagreed and instead they stirred up all of Israel to fear. And they said, look, they were giants in the land. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers and that's what they thought too. You see, Caleb and Joshua came back with a report of hope. They came back with a report trusting that what God had said about their future and what God had promised was true. They believed good things for Israel's future, the things that God had promised. The other 10 spies came back with fear and defeat. And they convinced all of Israel, everybody else, to fear along with them. They were weeping, tearing their clothes, and begging to go back to captivity because they clung to fear, the expectation of bad things. They left what God had said, and instead, they listened to the loudest and the most numerous voices. Caleb and Joshua were different. 
They refuse to stand in the fear of darkness instead of turning on the light of hope. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, the Holy Spirit never enters a person and lets them live like the world. You can be sure of that. When we have the Spirit of God, we will not be a reflection of the world, but of God's Spirit. Jeremiah 49, 16 says this. It says, you have been deceived by the fear you inspire in others and by your own pride. When we continually keep fear in front of us and when that is all we communicate and when all we have on in our house is the news that is telling us that the sky is falling and everything is going wrong, it says that we will even deceive ourselves We'll deceive ourselves by the fear we inspire in others. We will perpetuate that same fear. But Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. It doesn't say all of my situations. You see, sometimes God calms the storm, but other times he allows the storm to continue raging and instead he calms his children. The loudest voices and the most numerous voices in our society are rarely, rarely the ones speaking for God. But if we are believers, we must seek the Lord to deliver us. He has to be our hope. I have a list of phobias here. Palatophobia is the fear of baldness and bald people. Aerophobia is the fear of drafts. Porphyrophobia is the fear of the color purple. I think my kids have that one. Catophobia is the fear of hairy people. Levophobia, fear of objects on the left side of the body. Dextrophobia, fear of objects on the right side of the body. Auroraphobia is fear of the northern lights. Calyprophobia is fear of obscure meanings. Thalassophobia is the fear of being seated. Stabus vasophobia is the fear of standing and walking. Odontophobia is the fear of teeth. Graphophobia is the fear of writing in public. Phobophobia is the fear of being afraid. This isn't a joke. There's an inexhaustible list of things to be afraid of. And some of those things aren't funny. Some of those things are serious. When Molly was four years old today, I told her, I was like, Molly, is it okay if I'm using all these stories about you? Because like everyone is about her today. She's like, yeah, that's totally fine. So when Molly was about four years old, we had our sweet neighbor, Betty, who would babysit. And she was, you know, just a little bit younger than my parents. But we got home one night, and we walked in, and Betty was getting on her shoes. She's like, okay, I'm going to walk home now. And Okay, great. Oh, I did want to let you know, though. Molly came up to me tonight, and, you know, I don't think she was too happy with me. And she looked at me, and she said, I'm going to rip off your arms and legs and put them in the trash so you can't run away. Thank you. Have, okay, thanks for watching the kids. Have, have, have a good night. That's great. I shut the door and I look at Sam and I'm like, dude, this is not okay. Like, we are raising a psycho. We are, we are definitely raising a psycho. And I'm like, uh, really? Like, there were a lot of discussions we had about this in the next coming weeks because I'm like, dude, should we, like, put a lock on our door? Like, I am real. Like, this is, she's four, and she's going to be ripping off limbs and putting them in the trash like this. Where did she get that? 
Well, I met my friend Andrea's house a couple of weeks later, and she's talking about her brother playing with her kids and our kids a couple of weeks prior. And she said, oh, yeah, they were playing that game with the pool noodles where they're hitting each other in the arms and the legs, and it's kind of like freeze tag sort of thing. And when you lob off their arms or their legs, then they couldn't run away. You guys, I was so relieved. I was like, okay, we are not raising a psycho. It's okay. And here's the thing, that's funny now, but dude, I was seriously like, I don't know how cycles get raised, but like, is this, is this, is how we're doing it? Is this the way? <laughs> like, and here's the thing, there are a lot of legitimate reasons to fear. Financial insecurity, serious illness, crime, persecution, all sorts of reasons. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what we call it. It doesn't matter how we define it or how many names we give it. God has said, do not fear. Be not afraid. But here's the thing. He doesn't just dismiss our fears and leave it at that. Like, hey, be not afraid. Okay, see ya, bye. You know? Instead, he gives us something else, a way to address it biblically. So how do we deal with those fearful circumstances? The same way Caleb and Joshua did. We understand fear isn't a switch. We have to replace it with something, and we replace it with the hope that comes from God's promises. Romans 5, 3 through 5 tells us that even when things look bad, we don't have to fear. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they'd help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. We have to stop rehearsing the fears, and instead we need to rehearse God's faithfulness. We reframe our futures in hope instead of in fear. Psalm 22 says, our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. We have to stop peddling fear to the next generation. And instead, we need to tell them about the amazing things he has done. We need to tell them how he has changed us. I need to tell them how he has redeemed my life. How he will take something that is broken and make it beautiful. Because here's the thing. When you come to my house, Becca's house, I, I love to get rid of things. So if I have a bowl that has a chip, I'll look at Sam and be like, oh, is that chip too big? And, you know, for a while he'll, he'll be like, oh, no. And then he'll be like, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, toss it, right? If it's a favorite bowl and it cracks, then I might keep it in my cupboard. Everybody has one of these special cupboards, right? I'll keep it in my cupboard for a week or a month, and then I'll find it. I'll be like, yeah, I'm never going to give it what it deserves. But God, even if that bowl is crushed to a pulp, even if it is a dust, he will give it the time that it needs. He will give it the attention it needs, and it is always worth it to him to put it back together into something beautiful. Always. I want to be like the psalmist who said, let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. I want us to be like that psalmist. I want us to be that group of believers. If we are moms, dads, aunts, uncles, friends, relatives, if you are in the life of somebody else, we have a duty to share the promises of God and his faithfulness. We have to stand together 
and share it with all who come after us. When I do bicep curls, last night I was like rehearsing this and Jono is sitting there. He starts laughing after I said that. I go, when I do bicep curls, and he's like, ha, what are you talking about, buddy? I got guns. He goes, mom, you got pistols. <laughs> so <laughs> when I do bicep curls, do you know what doesn't get stronger? My quads. My quads don't get stronger when I do bicep curls. We cannot continue to exercise fear and expect faith and hope to be the things that grow. It doesn't work that way. Philippians 4.8 is actually one of my favorite scriptures. And this is a scripture that I use as a litmus test for what I allow into our lives, into our homes, into my homeschooling, just about everything. It says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Turn off your phones. Turn off your TVs. Turn off your podcasts. Turn off the voices of people who spread fear. Pray. Read the word. Go for a walk. Sit and read a book. Breathe. Just be in God's presence. Spend time with friends who discuss inspiring things about God. And we have to be patient and kind with people who are still wrestling with fear. We can't just cast them aside because we know God doesn't just cast us aside when we're struggling with fear. We want to be gracious. Because I might look at somebody else's fear and say, well, duh, that is like really irrational. Back it was just a deer outside of your house. You know, like duh. But they might look at things I fear and think the same thing. So we have to be patient with each other and walk with each other. During his years as premier of the Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev denounced many of the policies and atrocities of Joseph Stalin. Once, as he censured Stalin in a public meeting, Khrushchev was interrupted by a shout from a heckler in the audience. You were one of Stalin's colleagues. Why didn't you stop him? Who said that? Roared Khrushchev. An agonizing silence filled the room as nobody dared move a muscle. Then Khrushchev replied quietly, now you know why. Fear immobilizes us. It limits our ability, our voice, and our witness. So what mobilizes us? Psalm 33, verses 20 to 22 say, We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. We cannot be believers and place our hope in anything but the Lord. We can't place it in the media, we can't place it in the government. We don't get to place it in our spouse or in our kids. We place our hope in the Lord. And it is okay to be thankful for advances in healthcare, but we don't place our hope in healthcare. We place our hope only in the Lord. And that hope is in the promises of God. Psalm 12 assures us that those promises have been tested. It says, the Lord's promises are pure like silver, refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. We place our hope in God. We, pray, we place our hope in the gospel. 
the good news. All the powers of darkness don't want that good news to get out. Paul Harvey was a radio commentator, and he said this. He said, if I were the prince of darkness, I would want to engulf the whole world in darkness. I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I would set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you. And as I did to Eve, I would say, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince the children that man created God instead of the other way around. I'd confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And to the old, I would teach them to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. Then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature, literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young, young intellect but neglect to discipline emotions. I'd tell teachers to let those students run wild, and before you knew it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing and judges promoting pornography. Soon, I would evict God from the courthouse and the schoolhouse and then from the houses of Congress. In his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. What'll you bet? I could get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I convinced the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, and what you see on television is the way to be. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey, 1965. Everything on the outside of us is going to try to get us to fear, but we have hope. We have the gospel, the good news. Ephesians 1.8 says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. It is not okay today to walk out of the doors with fear immobilizing us. If Satan can't get to us with things on the outside, he'll try to get to us with something on the inside. He'll say you're not worthy. He'll call your qualifications into, into, into question. But Acts 2.17 says, In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on the servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. In that one scripture that bridges the gap from the Old Testament in Joel to the New Testament and Acts, God gets rid of ageism, racism, sexism, and classism. You are worthy you are qualified. If you are hearing me today, you are worthy and you are qualified because of the blood of Jesus. 
And instead of asking what could go wrong, let's ask what could go right. Instead of wondering what will happen if God doesn't show up, let's ask what will happen when he does. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep promises. So today, I do not want the church walking out the doors scared. If you are dealing with fear for something in your life, we're going we're gonna to pray for you today. This week I told you I hurt my rib and I went to the chiropractor and I, I met this man, this older gentleman. He was sitting next to me and we just struck up the most odd conversation. He went to get adjusted, but then he said, I'm going to wait for you. So when you're done getting adjusting, you know, come on out. So I got adjusted and then I came out and we just had this odd little faith-filled conversation that was amazing. And then he prayed over this body of believers. And he prayed for an anointing over this body of believers. And he prayed that this body of believers, Life West Church, would affect the world around us. That we would be people who stand and believe in the power of prayer. Who stand and believe in the miracles of God. He, he, would, he prayed that we would not just be a church that has a form of godliness, but that we would be a church that acknowledges the power of God. And then when he got done praying, I had tears in my eyes. This odd little guy is praying. I have tears in my eyes. And I just said, hey, I need you to pray over my rib. And the reason why is because I recognize this man spends time in the presence of God. He spends so much time in the word that it is overflowing into my life. And I want to tell you today that we are doing the same thing. Our prayer team does the same thing. This is what we expect of our dream team, that we are in the presence of God, that we are in the word, that we are able to join you in prayer. This isn't a church that puts prayer on the sideline. And so today I am going to ask you guys, I'm going to ask you guys to be bold. We went to Florida a couple of months ago and when we were there, when we were there, we went to a park, and the park was super, super busy. And my kids were climbing these banyan trees, and we looked over, and there was a girl who was in her 20s, and she's got a broom, and she's sweeping this tree. She's sweeping in all of the limbs, branches, all the way down the trunk, all the way out. We're watching, and we're like, girl, you are crazy. And on our way out, we stopped, and we just said, hey, like, what's with sweeping, what's with sweeping the tree? That's, like, weird. And, and she just said, you know what? She said, this is a first for me. She said, I don't usually make a habit of sweeping trees, but my brother is going to get engaged here in just a little bit. And here's the thing. Some things are worth doing even if we look a little bit odd. And so today, I want to ask you, if you are struggling with fear over something in your life, I'm going to ask you to stand. And what I want you to realize is I am standing too. Because I, I'm a parent, and so I, every day I think, are, am I raising my kids right? So I'm going to ask you. If I have to stand alone, I will. We're going to pray over you. If there is something in your life that you are fearing for, whether it's something in your marriage or your kids or an illness, I'm going to ask you to stand. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And we thank you that fear must go, Father. We thank you that it is only the devil that can be intimidated in your presence, Father, because we stand with the victor.
Today, I pray over every single person standing, Father, and I just ask, Lord, that you give them, Father, not just the ability to get rid of fear, but the ability to replace it with your hope. Father, I pray that you quicken their minds and their bodies when their bodies want to tell them to fear. I pray that you quicken them to go to your word, to come to your presence, Father. We command that fear to go. We stand and we say we will not be a church that walks out the doors powerless. But we will take the power of God with us so that we are not weak in this building and we are not weak when we go out. We can go out taking your hope with us to a lost and dying world. We thank you for these things, Father. We command fear to go in the mighty name of Jesus and every single thing must bow to your name, Father. And we pray these things in your mighty and yet oh so precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.